Welcome to the Shamrock. I'm your host, Matt Fortuna. Our friend Pete Sampson is enjoying a lovely vacation with his family, and we're gonna let him be. The last time he tried doing something like this, good old Brian Kelly decided he was going to leave Notre Dame and become the head coach at LSU, thus ruining the Sampson's family getaway. So they have definitely earned this one. Our show today centers on a conversation with Jordan Cornett. Jordan is a two-time Shamrock guest and is a familiar face around these parts for being a two-time captain with Mike Braves' basketball team, where Cornett also holds a school record for career block shots. We'll talk to Cornett a little bit about hoops and about the once-in-a-lifetime game he got to take in Saturday night in New Orleans. But we'll mostly talk football, as he's the host of The Huddle, the ACC Network's flagship football show, among other duties with ESPN. Cornett, like Marcus Freeman, hails from Ohio, and he really likes what he has seen from the first-year head coach so far. I think you'll enjoy his perspective on all the changes that have come to Notre Dame in the first five months of the Freeman regime, especially from the alumni side of things. And count Cornette among the few who is pleased to see Notre Dame stepping out of its scheduling traditions to face Tennessee State in the 2023 home opener as well. His view is absolutely worth taking into account. So without further ado, here's Jordan Cornette on the Shamrock. We are now pleased to be joined by Notre Dame great Jordan Cornette. You've seen him on the ACC Network, uh, on ESPN, on First Take. Uh, you've heard him on the radio. I see him laughing as I call him Notre Dame great. I almost spit out my coffee with that introduction. <laughs> so we're just telling blatant lies for these next uh, 20 minutes or so. Oversell and underdeliver. That's what we do here on the Shamrock. <laughs> I see you drinking coffee. I know it's early. You just got back from the Final Four. We got to start with that. I mean, especially covering the ACC as deeply as you do. Seeing Duke in North Carolina, Coach K's last game. What was that experience like in New Orleans? It was incredible. I, I mean, to me, it had the juice of a national championship game in any sport. I mean, just what was on the line. Uh, the storylines don't need to be repeated. That part is obvious. Uh, but the fact that, like, I hearken back to some of, like, the highly anticipated games that we've covered or, or our fandom's been attached to or just, you know, general pop culture is laden in games, lead-ups. And it's everywhere you look, everywhere you turn, it's being hyped up. <clears throat> And they never deliver. I mean, one of them that comes to mind is that first uh, Pacquiao-Mayweather fight, the first go-around. And everyone's like, this is must-see. Hey, they're two tacticians. You weren't going to get any of those moments provided for a knockout. And when it was all said and done, why did I pay for this? Why was I so hyped up for this? Uh, this was a Duke-Carolina game that had 18 lead changes, I believe, 12 ties, and was punch-counterpunch from what I believe is the greatest rivalry in all of sports. I, I think it's in all of sports, at least – from my perspective in my lifetime growing up, I had to see Carolina and Duke, and I was never uh, raised to be a diehard fan of either, just had an appreciation for both. Uh, so to be there, I went um, alongside Jay Williams and his wife Nikki as, as friends of theirs. I got to be a fan for that one, and then I went on to work Sunday, Monday, in some uh, – I don't even know what day it is, Wednesday, Tuesday morning some. <laughs> uh, so it was cool to have the perspective of a fan for that one, to be in there, but to be around you know these Duke guys – Looking to my left, there's Trajan Langdon. Behind me is Tyus Jones, uh, Chris Duhon, all these guys. And you could see the reality kick in that a big part of their life, <clears throat> a big part of their story, and the guy who was in front of it, Coach K, that all coming to an end. So it's a lot of emotions. But I, I just looked to my wife, Shay, and said, isn't it cool to be a part of this? This is a bucket list sports memory. Was that as just being in the Duke section? I didn't know you were there. Was that as devastating as all of us would imagine it to be? I, I, I just can't think of a, frankly, yeah, I'm a Yankees fan. Blowing a 3-0 lead to the Red Sox is the worst thing that could ever happen to me. Uh, and then never losing. getting a chance to play the Red right, Sox exa again. Exactly, exactly. You know what That's I mean? what I would like, equate it to. Like, was it that devastating? 
It really was. And uh, not. And I, I have to qualify this by saying not Jay because I was sitting next to Jay and I don't want to attach this to him. Not that it wouldn't be anything to be um, or feel ashamed of, but there was definitely some teary-eyed former players that were sitting there. I mean, I don't think you get teary-eyed if you lose – to, to Carol, if you lose to Carolina and Coach K still got another 10 years of runway and is coaching ahead of him, it was that because they hurt for their coach. They hurt because they probably knew those bragging rights for Carolina will always stay in that regard because Coach K, no matter what you hear from anybody, he ain't coming back. Um, he's going to settle into retirement. And, and it was it was surreal. I mean, I felt emotional, weirdly, because – He's a part of our story, man. I mean, we came yeah. up as college basketball fans, and it's much like I made the comparison to Dickie V in a way. Like, luckily, Dickie V is healthy, and he's going to be calling a lot more basketball games in his future. But when the day comes where he decides he doesn't want to do it anymore, it'll feel weird, too, because it was a part of my story growing up. I was going to watch Coach K and Duke. I was going to listen to Dickie V call games. And so to not be a part of the program and still feel a little attachment and knowing the relationship, deep relationship that Coach K has with a lot of these guys – uh, they hurt for him like a family member suffering a loss. And, you know, luckily it was only a loss in sport. The relationship doesn't die between Coach K and those players. John Shire is one of them. He'll be running that program. The brotherhood that they that they put up on a pedestal will still be omnipresent. Uh, but it was definitely a, a somber night that night. I think if, if they win that game, we're probably on Bourbon Street uh, hanging out a lot later on in the night uh, than shutting it down and, and calling it one. Uh, I figured they'd be out there drowning their sorrows. Yeah, no, they <laughs> went to the other too. <laughs> he says, wake up and act like this day is not a reality. <laughs> Transitioning from Coach K to Coach Bray, your guy, kind of a year where Notre Dame men's basketball got back on the map, so to speak. Mm-hmm. A strong finish, um, great game with Texas Tech in the round of 32 that came down to the wire. As a guy who's obviously invested in that program, who, who came up through that program, what was it like to see these guys seemingly come out of nowhere this year and put on the kind of season they did? It was fun. I mean, I was relieved is probably the best word to use, man. I say relieved because I didn't want this group to go through a career of never playing in an NCAA tournament. It's like, what are you really doing if you don't experience March? Sure. I mean, uh, the regular season, we know how the casual fan treats it. So if you're not making it to the tournament, uh, a lion's share of fans that come along for the March Madness party never get a chance to see you perform. So I was relieved that they got that opportunity. Not only that, but when they won the play-in game, I was like, okay, now you're really in the tournament. Right. And then when they won a game in the tournament, I was like, okay, now you guys have won a tournament game. And you know what? They fell admirably to Texas Tech. A couple offensive re- – I mean, a couple defensive rebounds grabbed. Uh, they probably advanced and have a chance to play Duke, a team that I was confident they could beat. And then who knows from there? So for me, I was relieved. I was happy for that group. I do wish it all came together a little bit earlier because they were so old. Right. But if it's the 11th hour, it's the 11th hour. I think Coach Bray did a magnificent job tapping into personalities because I think these personalities are a little bit different than some that he's had over the years. There wasn't a, a Danny Miller. There wasn't a Maddie Carroll. There wasn't a Ryan Humphrey. There wasn't a Chris Thomas. That swagger or that just older elder statesman mentality, uh, they were a different kind of old. I'm not saying immature, but they weren't necessarily alphas. <coughs> Great guys. Great guys, very talented players, but I think there was some of that. Uh, I hate to use this word machismo, something like a. Right. You know, we're getting things are getting frenzied. Like I got this, and they never really had an I got this guy. Honestly, it felt like it became Cormac Ryan down the stretch, which was pretty cool to see. Uh, and I think you know, with him coming back, his ability to really lead this group. What's so weird about college basketball, Matt, is 
I'm not quite sure what this roster looks like next year. I don't know. Like, do Prentice Hub and these guys have the ability to come back? Like, are they going to? I don't know with this extra COVID year stuff what this group looks like. I do believe Blake is names in the draft and it's going to stay there is my guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't have any inside information. I just think when it's dangled in front of me, he's going to be a first round guy. I personally would prefer he returns. I know his family is, is uh, a very um, intelligent, cerebral. uh, They're not going to chase money dangled in front of them, but when an opportunity like that and you have the talent, just don't see him coming back, but man, would it be fun to have him and JJ in that backcourt I think if those two, if Blake would return, knowing that Paul's gone, maybe they get a big in the the transfer portal. Maybe a guy like Zone is ready. They could be a top 15 preseason team. So it could go wildly one way or wildly the other, but that's the nature of college basketball right now, right? Yeah, I just wish it ended better for Blake. And I say that because he didn't have the best final stretch of the season. Oh, he's bad. I mean, you got to call it what it was. He was bad. He wasn't great. Mike Bray comes out. On uh, the radio, the morning hands up to Clary and saying, we're going to play this thing out for a few weeks. Tom Noy writes it up. Blake Wesley's tweeting at Tom Noy to delete it. Blake Wesley deletes his own Twitter announcement, then puts out another one. I just thought, first one and done in the Mike Bray era, a local kid who no one really believed in outside of Notre Dame, who helped bring you back to the map. This should have been a big celebration. Like, here you go. You did it, buddy. And it turned into about 24 hours of confusion that I think didn't serve anyone all that well. But whether he comes back or not, they got the number 15 recruiting class in the country coming back. And to your point, we don't know who else is coming back, but there are going to be expectations with this program for the first time in probably five or six years. I mean, how do you think they're going to handle that? Be curious because this group, and if some of those guys do return, this group hasn't handled expectation very well because, you know, when they were sophomores, it's like, okay, we got some momentum. When they were juniors, they kind of fell flat. And that's when this program felt like, okay, what's going on? Why aren't the get old, stay old mantra working? And then in the senior campaign, it really took off midway through the season. And it was like, okay, this is what it is. So I would love to see them go further with that. I think they discovered what their identity is, but it does come very clearly to me, the clarity's provided that a Paul Atkinson's maturation and evolution credit coach Ryan Humphrey for tapping into getting a little dog out of him and a go attack mode mentality, they're going to need a big still. They're going to need somebody to play through and go four out one in at times. So they're not just relying on a five out front. Uh, Cause then it's just, okay, we better make shots or else. Paul Atkinson was providing an efficient look at two point field goals, uh, offensive rebounding opportunities and a defensive rebounder. They're going to need that. Uh, we have always had that as much as we talked about guards, these really good teams, there's been a big, there's been a Zach August. You can even throw in a hybrid like a Bonzi Colson who is smaller. There's been a Ryan Humphrey. There's been a Trent Francis. Good teams at Notre Dame have had obviously four great guards who shoot it, but they've also had stability down low at the big spot. We're about halfway through spring football right now, 17 days out, I believe, from the, the Notre Dame spring game. Have you been back since Marcus Freeman got hired? Have you, have you talked to some of the people around the program? What are your early impressions? Uh, everybody loves him. I've talked to a lot of people close to the program. Uh, it's a different vibe. It, it's a it's a more progressive feel at Notre Dame as we look at the HBCU uh, matchup of Tennessee State, which I, I know is drawn some criticism. I know it's drawn some praise. It's Notre Dame. That's how it goes. Um, but those things that you just typically wouldn't see happen, I, I think, are very cool. It makes me very excited. But just engagement with him, people say what you see is what you get. Like he's going to tell it to you how it is. He's a very passionate guy, very respectful guy, a very family-based guy. 
uh, but very accessible. And I don't know, is that a knock on Brian Kelly? Maybe that's a knock on Brian Kelly. Uh, Brian Kelly had a magnificent career at Notre Dame. Nobody can take that away from him. What he's done for that program is literally second to none. Um, but in terms of accessibility relationship and more like this is our coach who believes in our university and everybody's aligned, you're really getting that with Coach Freeman. I'll say this, Matt. Hubert Davis has done no no first-year coaches <laughs> uh, any services. I think uh, I saw Michael Lick Jr., buddy of mine, retweet something like that uh, and mention Coach Freeman, and it's true. And when you get a program like Notre Dame that wants it every year and believes yeah. they deserve it every year, and a guy from a blue blood like North Carolina does that, they're going to think, all right, we better go undefeated and be in the CFP, Coach Freeman, or we're going to wonder if we got the right guy. But he understands that's what comes with that job. And even before Coach Hubert Davis – those were the expectations of Notre Dame, so he'll be just fine. If only you got as many mulligans of football as you did in basketball, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, North right, Carolina just, did not look great for the first Just throw away the year. first couple months of the season. Lose yeah. Ohio State, it's fine. Come back, go 10-2 and two or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Did you, did you know him at all just being Western Ohio guys? Like, are you, like you're about the same. I mean, you're a little bit older, but, I mean, you're from that same era. Did you know him at all, Marcus Freeman? I was very familiar with him even from when he was playing at Ohio State to when he got on that staff to Cincinnati staff. And there's six degrees of separation because I have a relationship with Fickle, who obviously he was one of his guys. Um, but no, we haven't had a chance to meet, which makes me really excited because I'm going down there for the Blue Gold game that weekend uh, with the intention of meeting him down there. So I'm coming in. I'm doing a couple events with Notre Dame down there. And one of them is to have a chance to talk to him for a little bit about different things. I, I would love to help with the program in any way as possible. I'm not a football guy, um, but I know people are doing some special things with the name, image, and likeness there. Uh, there's a group that's involved. I would love to be involved because as much as I love Notre Dame basketball and that's the uniform I wore, it, I hate the Duke stole in the word brotherhood because we've all used it, but <laughs> it is a brotherhood. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, yeah, right? it's a brotherhood amongst all athletes and some of my closest friends from Notre Dame are football guys. And, you know, I know Justin Tux of the world want to see this thing be great. I know the Brady Quinns of the world want to continue to see this thing be great. And, and if there's any hand I can play as somebody on the media side um, to help, I would love to. I just want to see him win not because we have a black head coach. I want to see him win because I believe in this guy. I love what he stands for. And I've always wanted to see Notre Dame football kick some tail. I've just always wanted Notre Dame basketball to be right there with them doing it yeah. just the same. Well, they were for a while, at least early on in the Kelly tight And you mentioned, I mean, I feel that way with process, right? You can't say process without crediting Nick Saban or Sam Hinkie <laughs> now. And it's like, that's a pretty common English word. Um, you mentioned this a little bit, the Tennessee state game. I think it caught a lot of people by surprise. Twitter is not indicative of reality, but Twitter's up in arms about it. Jack Swarbrick and uh, leadership from uh, Tennessee State are going to speak today and address questions about how this came together. Uh, you sound pretty excited about it. Why, uh, why is People that? also forget, like, that same season they're playing Clemson, Ohio State, and USC. Like, oh, they, they open in Dublin against Navy. Like, that's going to be the, – yeah, the recovery like, from that is not easy. The schedule is still a juggernaut of a schedule. Like, you they, they play, I think there's a reason they didn't play Jackson State and Dion. Like, they might lose that one coming yeah, back to Dublin. Well, you know, Jackson State's amassing talent. I wouldn't, yeah. That's what I'd be up in arms about. Like, yeah. hey, wait, this is a lose-lose for us. We win the game we're expected to. Jackson State could very well beat us. You know, another part I think that's not getting pub on this is the fact that it's Eddie George. Right. And Eddie George's an Ohio State guy. Marcus Freeman's an Ohio State guy. Like, I think there's a relationship I know there is there. And I think he's trying to do good by uh, one of the biggest names in Ohio State history, and Eddie George, a Heisman Trophy winner, a guy who had an illustrious NFL career. 
And he's trying to prop up HBCUs because they deserve it. I mean, this is, to me, a great opportunity to shine light on HBCUs that are so important in the inner fabric of minority education and education in general in our country. And it's doing something that Notre Dame hasn't done. It's showing progressive thought. I love it. I don't think they're trying to win any PR move here. I think he saw a connection to a guy that he wants to give an opportunity to and put that program on a platform. Notre Dame wants to go out there and kick their tail. You know, to me, it's you do need a game. You do need a game like that with what their schedule is. And I don't think it's going to hurt Notre Dame. And I do think it's a good look for all parties involved. But with every move in Notre Dame, there's going to come scrutiny. I get it. People want a sexier matchup there. But I think you're going to need respite in one of those weeks with what that schedule already is. Yeah, I always like I, I think it's a, a cause for celebration. I can understand why people are upset that USC is now the only team that hasn't the only FBS team that has never played an FCS team. But I just thought that FCS thing was overrated. Like Notre Dame had a good enough schedule or scheduled strongly enough where it was good because they're playing Clemson, Ohio State, not because, oh, we don't play FCS like the SEC does. Like well, people, that's, that's They play UMass thing. in their second year of FBS existence. It's the same yeah. thing, in my opinion. Matt, to me, that's the one thing that, that I, draws a little bit of ire for me with our fan base is some things that they want to hold on to historically, they just don't hold significance, like you're saying. Like, that's – I did not even know that about Notre Dame. And I didn't know USC stands alone there. And I think if you ask most fans, they got no idea. I mean, they know that Notre Dame's independent in football. That's really cool to hold on to because of what it allows us. And it's very well documented and it's very well known. It is not well known that we've never played a, a non-FCS, that we've never played an FCS. To diehards, absolutely great. But to the masses, nobody's going to bat an eye at that part of it. We're not losing any part of the foundation of what Notre Dame football is by playing Eddie George's Tennessee State team. Yeah, I mean, people were up in arms about a Jumbotron, and they've lost, I think, two home games in the five years since then. And that, that discussion went out the window because winning cares everything. And I give credit to this administration because I think they have the capital to do this now. USC tried it under Lynn Swan. Fans were up in arms. Mike Bone got there, immediately canceled that game because he knew how important it was to reach out to his fan base. I, th- I see it as the opposite here at Notre Dame. They, they had agree. the opportunity to, to take that risk, so to speak. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Did Everyone was surprised when Brian Kelly left, as I'm sure you were. Can you take me through – it's kind of – if you're a Notre Dame guy, I feel like that's a – you know I knew, remember where I was, what I was doing moment when I found out Brian Kelly was leaving LSU. For me – I was surprised he left. I was more surprised of where he left because I could probably count 40 jobs, including all 32 NFL ones, that I thought he would have been a better fit for than, than LSU. What was that week like for you as an Notre Dame alum? Just the emotions, the high. I mean, they're still alive for a playoff spot at that point as well. And to me, it's just – and this is totally unfair, but I think it's, it's kind of the narrative I had carved out of who I believed him to be, where he was never really a player-first guy. And, again, I didn't play for him. So this is just a vibe I get from the outside looking in. And, and there could easily be guys who pop up and say, no, I played for him. That's not true, Jordan. Fair. I'm not, I'm not saying it, it can't be. But I always perceived him to be a uh, cash the check, win games, relationships come secondarily. The university is along for the ride of the Brian Kelly show. And I'm a great coach because he's a great coach. And he does make programs better. And because of that, everything else is just kind of like, why does anything else matter? I'm here. I'm winning games. I'm the winningest coach. I'm doing all these things. To me, that was really highlighted by the fact that this team was not left for dead with the college football playoff yet. And he said, this money, you guys, is so much. I've got to go. And to me, look, I'm not in that position where I'm being thrown that kind of money at me. 
So it's really easy for us to sit here, Matt, and question that part. But regardless, it does speak to, you know, I heard there, the bedside manner wasn't great with him when he did leave. If he really truly had to leave because that money wouldn't be there, then to me he could have handled it more sensitively with his guys. But also, if they want you that bad, and I go through negotiations with, with my career, I don't think I'll ever be desired as much as Brian <laughs> Kelly was at LSU. On a first but, take, you know, they throw money around to, to Stephen A and those guys. <laughs> yeah, but we do know what leverage is. And if somebody right. was willing to pay you that kind of money, they're probably also willing to say, hey, we're not going to put anything formal on the table until we know what Notre Dame's college football playoff future is. And if they're not willing to do that, then what kind of employer is that really about to be if they're going to put you in a spot where you're going to look like a complete villain to a, to a program and an institution where you've been their head coach for as long as you have? So I felt like that part could have been handled. Uh, obviously, secrets get out, but you could have prevented it by not even coming to a conclusion that you were taking it until these channels had, to, had been satiated of, is Notre Dame in the college football playoff or not? If it just became the bowl game that it did, I'm fine with you saying, hey, guys, I might not be able to finish out. Athletes do it. I believe they should. I believe if you have an t- ability to be a first-round draft pick, you shouldn't play in the Music City Bowl and risk an opportunity yeah. to tear an ACL. If you had a chance to play in a college football playoff, though, and, and make history for your team, I think you need to saddle up one more time and give it the old college try, no pun intended. So I had the same expectation for Coach. What, what I honestly felt about it was – Besides that part, awful look, I started to get excited because right away I said, Marcus Freeman, Notre Dame do right here, Marcus Freeman. And there was a groundswell of everybody who wanted Marcus Freeman, which at Notre Dame, because skin color does play a role, and I know we have hired a black head coach before and Coach Ty Willingham, but I also saw how that played out. I didn't know if it would be the massive support early on that almost pushed Marcus Freeman into that job. That didn't feel like a very Notre Dame-like thing made me love my institution and and fan base a lot more to see that they were like this young black man with no head coaching experience needs to be our guy. And both white and black, young and old felt that I loved that. And when they made that move, I loved it even more from a coach Jack's or coach, uh, our (laughs) athletic director, Jack Swarbrick. I loved it. So there was excitement for me. And I've heard from former players, a lot of them that it's refreshing to feel like they're a part of the program. Not just the Tim Browns of the world mm-hmm. and the big time names, but everybody. I mean, he's getting on Zooms with these guys weekly to talk to alum. He's bringing back the people that made the program what it is. I don't believe Brian Kelly was ever invested in that to the degree that Marcus Freeman is. So it feels like a program that is intimate in nature with family involved, rooted in it. And I can't wait for it to take off. It's a different vibe. He's a different human being than Brian Kelly is. And I believe this, if Marcus Freeman was in that same position Let's go five years down the road, and it's a it's an Oklahoma, it's a Texas, it's a it's a I won't even say a Michigan. It's any of these schools <laughs> that want Marcus Freeman, and they're in that exact same boat Brian Kelly was with LSU in a college football playoff, waiting in the balance for Notre Dame. Marcus Freeman would not handle it like that, and that's different to me. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you said. From my understanding, like LSU basically gave Brian Kelly a timeline because remember Lincoln Riley just publicly turned them down twenty four hours earlier, and they were. It's LSU, right? Like, image matters there. They're pretty embarrassed. They knew they had to throw money at their problems, although I don't think Brian's making that much more than he was making at Notre Dame. I just thought it was, as, as my colleague Pete Sampson would say, a game of chicken that got a little too far. But the, to your point, I, I just think Brian Kelly was really smart at a lot of things off the field. He really misread the room by coming back and giving a speech to those guys at, while leaving them. Like, I just – 
No one ever check a box. That, that's why. But that's about to me, Matt, what you're laying out here is a not understanding of right. That's a lack of connection. But no, no it, one, no one committed to Notre Dame for Brian Kelly. They committed Notre Dame for Notre Dame and they'll commit to Notre Dame for Marcus Freeman. And people went to Oklahoma for Lincoln Riley, which is why he brought half the people with him. To USC. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No one went with Brian was Kelly. Mass, was there a mass exodus from Notre Dame to LSU? Yeah, for Brian? A, few, a few coaches. That's it. And the punter. Um, so, <laughs> which will be all right. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Well, I appreciate the time, buddy. Where can our listeners find you? I know you're everywhere and you got a busy week coming up. Yeah, this week they could find uh, my wife and I both. We're going to be kind of uh, all over the next, what's today, Wednesday? I had to double check <laughs> that again. Uh, the next few days we're going to be on Get Up and First Take, uh, doing the little fighting thing on the air as opposed to just here behind closed doors <laughs> in the household. Uh, we're taking that national. So we'll be doing that Thursday, Friday. I'll probably be popping up on a bunch of those platforms here through the summer. Uh, and then ACC Network, I'll be covering the NFL Draft with ESPN Radio. We'll be doing our radio show on Sundays, my wife and I, from 1 to 5. And just a whole lot of TV along the way. So I apologize if you see me everywhere, uh, but I'm doing what I got to do. <laughs> and you always make room for us on the Shamrock. I'm all time guest. Appreciate the time, Jordan. Take care of yourself. Matt, you're my guy. Appreciate you having me on, as always. Tell Pete to start working. I mean, what the heck, man? <laughs> I will uh, I will get on, him, uh, get on him for that. And I can't let you go without mentioning another – Almost bald guy joining the show. So appreciate having you on. We're we're alive and well. Bald is beautiful. (laughs) Take care, buddy. Thanks, Matt. That was Jordan Cornette. We thank him again for taking the time to join the show. And as he said, you can catch him pretty much everywhere on ESPN over the next few weeks and at Notre Dame's Blue Gold Spring Game on April 23rd as well. Later today, Jack Swarbrick and Marcus Freeman from Notre Dame will hold a joint news conference with Mickey Allen and Eddie George from Tennessee State. I'll be curious to hear how this game came together, though I'm guessing the Ohio State connection between George and Freeman played no small part in it. I've been told that scheduling an HBCU was something Swarbrick has wanted to do across the past year or so, and next season's home opener opener provided the perfect opening. I've also been told that Grambling State had some interest, but they are already playing LSU in 2023, and there were some hurdles that come with that. Reasonable minds can disagree on why Notre Dame feels the need to play this game, but this is a great opportunity for an HBCU to showcase itself at one of the sport's most iconic venues with a national broadcast on NBC to boot. It is quite the opening to the 2023 season for the Irish, who traveled to Dublin a week earlier to play Navy. The after-effect of that opponent, to say nothing of the body clock reset that comes from playing overseas, probably limited Notre Dame's scheduling flexibility for the home opener as well. Thanks, as always, for subscribing and tuning in. And please, leave a five-star rating and comment if you're so inclined. We'll be back in the next week or so, again joined by our friend Pete, who is out of the country in a much warmer climate, while the rest of us are stuck here counting down the days till the temperature finally rises in the Midwest. Until next time, Matt Fortuna signing off for the Shamrock.